0: Welcome to MLS Assist, a podcast created to give insight into the tactical side of Major League Soccer. I'm your host, Joe Lowry, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jordan Angeli. Jordan, another week, another week, hopefully closer to the start of the MLS's back tournament. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. Yeah, I think just that, right? The anticipation continues to grow. We're getting more and more ready. And it's nice that there's other soccer games happening on TV right now. But man, I'm ready for MLS to be back.
0: And and that's why, Jordan, today's show, I'm going to go ahead and call the MLS Assist, MLS's back extravaganza, because we're going deep into this tournament, how it's going to look, what teams are going to do, some new players coming into the league, answering some listener questions. We've got it all going today.
1: Yeah, we're doing it all because this is an (laughs) extravaganza, Joe. That's right. (laughs)
0: that's right. I love we didn't talk about that beforehand. And I love just how immediately you jumped on board the extravaganza train. So thank you for that.
1: Oh, I'm into it. (laughs) I really like it.
0: We've got a lot to get to today. As I mentioned there, why don't we go ahead and get into the basic format and structure this stuff you can find online, but sort of set the scene for a conversation. Jordan, do you want to kind of walk us through the basics of this tournament?
1: Yeah, I'll um, try to do it as briefly and concisely as I can. Uh, To start off, there's going to be 54 games in the tournament in total.
0: 54 games, Jordan?
1: There's three games a day for the first (laughs) 16 days, Joe.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we'll be busy. Continue, Jordan, continue.
1: So it starts in group stages with all 26 MLS teams Then it goes down to 16 teams and quarterfinals, semifinals, and then the championship game. So typical tournament there. The teams can start arriving in Florida on June 24th and the group stage starts on July 8th. The tournament will end with the final on August 11th. But what's interesting here is teams can start um, arriving a couple weeks before the start of the tournament, and that's so they can quarantine with enough time to hopefully get some maybe practice games in, right? Some preparation for the tournament. There's already one scheduled pre MLS is back back game, <laughs> I guess. I don't really know what to call that one, but it's FC Dallas against New York City FC. And I would imagine in the next couple days, Joe, we're going to see some more of those games being scheduled as teams. Uh, want to prepare themselves properly for the start of this tournament.
0: Absolutely. I mean, we saw friendlies, I think, especially in the Premier League before that league came back. Uh, they had closed-door friendlies in England. And we're going to see teams do the same thing here. You have to be able to get up to fitness and to be able to do some of those sorts of things before you actually get into competitive games, because these group stage games actually count towards the regular season standing. So as far as we know, MLS is going to continue to play their season in home markets after this Orlando tournament is completed These group stage games are going to count to the standings that we've had so far from the first two weeks of the season and the standings that we're going to continue to have built upon after the season resumes in a little bit more, hopefully normal fashion.
1: So that's another key point that those group stage games count to regular season table. The top two teams from all six groups, along with the four best third place finishers, will move on to the knockout stage. You and I will talk a little bit more about that (laughs) in a bit. Um, and then the knockout rounds. If those matches finish tied at the end of regulation, they're going to go straight to penalty kick shootout. I think they probably should have done like the dribble up penalty kick oh, shootout. Yeah. And really make it like MLS's is back 25th anniversary style, but whatever. <laughs> um, and then the winner gets $1.1 million and a champions league spot, which are two huge prizes.
0: First of all, Jordan, you clearly need to be some sort of game show host or announcer because that $1.1 $1. <laughs> $1 million was perfect for that. Um, so, hey, if the soccer thing doesn't work out for you, I think we got a backup career. But the cash okay. prize and the CCL spot, depending on the team, right, depending on the team, could be really big incentives to actually go for it in this tournament. Yeah. It's going to be strange. I'm not sure what the level of competition is going to be in this MLS's back tournament but 1.1 million dollars for a team like San Jose or Houston or you know some of the smaller teams that don't typically spend as much money an influx of more than a million dollars of cash to spend on like academy fees or to spend on travel or any of these things that's that's a nice little boost to the budget and that's completely forgetting about the CCL spot which for a team like the ones i just mentioned or for teams that don't typically find themselves at the top of the table or in MLS Cup playoffs to win that spot in the normal fashion a CCL spot could be a really big deal for some of those clubs that don't usually play in that competition.
1: That's a huge. I, I think it's a huge deal. The CCL sh- spot, and I do get that the money is important. And don't forget that the players are going to also want a chunk of that change oh, too, yeah. right? Oh yeah. They're going to want some nice hefty bonuses if if they win that. Uh, but the CCL spot to me is the prize. Like that's the prize, yeah. right? Because I think that it really helps establish in MLS who you are as a club, and if you, it's difficult to earn that spot. And if this is the way that you can earn it, you can really start to differentiate yourself as a club here, um, beyond just the MLS market.
0: This is a big way to increase their global well, maybe not global, but CONCACAF brand awareness and things like that that have an yeah. effect off the field. Cause CCL is hard right. to play in Jordan. It's funny to me because this prize almost seems a little bit like a penalty. Because if you yeah, think about of. like if you think about regular season, the difficulty that comes with starting games and having two games a week essentially for the first two months of the year, or or close to that at least. Having to play more fixtures is always difficult. But again, there is that upside to increasing your awareness of your brand and of your team and giving players more chances to play in highly competitive games. That's a big deal, too. So I do think there's a real advantage to winning this tournament for teams that don't typically find themselves in those conversations.
1: It's interesting that you mentioned that, Joe, because not only is the CCL spot like a positive and a negative during regular season, right? And the disadvantages that it maybe causes with the wear and tear on a team during MLS season. But if you think about this tournament in general, if you push to get into the final and you push to win that CCL spot, Uh, and then you don't win it, are you at an advantage or a disadvantage playing all those extra games Mm. in the heat in Orlando to then prep yourself for MLS regular season? I don't know. You know, it's nice to get extra games, but then you're kind of forfeiting a little bit of this building time that other teams might have to really hone in on who they're going to be during the, uh, I'll just say, quote unquote, regular season that will be taking place in the fall. Well,
0: and maybe it's... Maybe it's more of a matter of how teams use the new substitution rule for how Mm. how well they're going to be prepared to play the rest of the season. Talking about maybe teams being burnt out with playing so many games so quickly... There are five subs allowed in each game in this tournament, Jordan. yeah We've seen that across Europe now with leagues starting up over there, and we're going to see the same thing here. So if teams are able to take more advantage of the additional depth that they'll be allowed to use in each game, 23 players on the matchday roster instead of 18, five subs instead of three, even still with just the three chances to make those subs, for managers who are maybe having an eye to the rest of the season and don't want to risk injuries or don't want to overplay some of their big-name players now, we could really see a lot of rotations in these games, and that could help, sort of, I think, what you were talking about there with teams not disadvantaging themselves and burning themselves out now just for the sake of winning and getting the cash and getting the CCL.
1: That's really, for me, that's going to be one of the things that could really shift tactics throughout this tournament, right? Is the opportunity to use more subs. Because if you think about it, you have five subs. You can, if you're playing 4 3 3, you can sub your front three. And you're two attacking midfielders and have a whole new front five running at people late in a game where the other team is exhausted. Can you imagine?
0: Okay, it's funny that you mentioned that, though, because I was thinking about that as well, especially in the context of teams that play more of an intense defensive style. Right. Imagine just changing. We'll use halftime as the example. Imagine yeah. the San Jose earthquakes come out and and they've been doing this man marking. They've been working hard for the entire first half. They come out. It's humid in Orlando. they It's hot. They've got the early morning game. There's a lot going on. Almeida just switches their front five right of the four, two, three, one. Maybe he leaves a holding right. midfielder back to to keep in touch with the defensive line. But you switch five attacking players and you just run at the other team in the second half. Right. I mean, you have fresh legs against their tired legs if the other team isn't taking advantage of this tackle. Why not? That's sort of my theme for this tournament. Why not? Why would you not try to be proactive and take advantage of things that haven't been there before? Take advantage of rules that haven't been there in the past.
1: Yeah, I think it's going to be very rare that we don't see teams using all the subs. Would you agree? Ordinarily, I would. But then we see
0: teams in Europe right now not taking advantage of that rule at all. It's baffling to me. Why would you not make those subs? It seems to me that teams and coaches are unnecessarily reticent to do that. I think if it were me, and this is easy to say because I'm not an MLS coach, I would do that. Trust in your depth. Allow your players to get minutes. Allow some younger guys to get experience that they wouldn't have a chance to get otherwise. Uh-huh. Give your big name players some rest. Play the long game here. Save some time on those legs and actually set yourself up for the future and hopefully for the rest of the season. Again, why not? But I don't know, Jordan. I honestly don't know if we're going to see teams and coaches use all five subs. What do you think?
1: I think the first game will be interesting because I think everybody's going to want set- to step in the first game, right, and I think in the first games we'll see less of subs, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because you, the, this in general, this tournament is going to be really weird when it comes to tactics or tournament tactics, because you're playing three regular season games which also count to a tournament. So you're going to play those three regular season games as if you want all three of those points because you have no idea what's going to happen on the back end. It could be a
0: 15-game season after this tournament, and those nine points that you got in the group stage could be the difference between making the playoffs and not.
1: Huge. Yeah, and I think that's what's really interesting about it is because you can't play the group stage as if it's actually a group stage. Mm. Because we've seen, you know, how many World Cups, big tournaments uh, that have we seen teams play in where one of the games is like, we don't have to get the three points out of this because we already know what's happening. Right. And we're no, we are know we're going to get through. Even if it's in that second place, sometimes teams don't even want to play for first place, right? Because they're like, oh, the second place draw actually is going to get me to the final easier. Well, you, you want to get maximum points here. And it just changes, like... Mentally, it's a hard thing for you to understand, like for me to comprehend when, okay, this is a tournament, but it's also not a tournament. (laughs)
0: maybe we'll see teams go harder in the group stage and then fold the knockout rounds right why not if a team's not bothered by the cash prize or the ccl spot maybe it's a team that's usually in the conversation for ccl anyway why wouldn't we just see them go hard in the group stage try to get those nine points from the three matchups there and then just play the kids in the next game and see how far they go and just sort of ride it out from there rest some of the starters for hopefully the rest of the season that's a really strange situation that i don't think any of these coaches will have ever experienced before
1: I know and it'll be really interesting, but there are going to be opportunities and there are going to be um, players who are going to step up that are going to earn themselves more minutes after this tournament because of the work that they do here. So I think there is some really big moments to be had here.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of that might come down to some of the younger guys. We're already seeing homegrown mm-hmm. signed to new deals to just essentially be extra bodies on that extended match day roster, up five players. That means you have to have five extra players to fill those spots. So it's possible that we see some younger guys get in and actually make an impact in chances that they wouldn't have had before. It's also possible we just see players that we don't expect to really contribute in these games to actually do that. Uh, but either way, yeah. no matter how I look at this, the teams with more depth and more elite level players, or at least more starting level players that don't end up in their starting 11 are going to be set up to succeed more in this tournament. Jordan, is there a team to you that you feel is best equipped to take advantage of this extra subs rule with more depth than the rest of the league might have?
1: Ooh, is there one team? I think there's multiple teams, you know, I think it's hard not to talk about LAFC and just, you know, the players they have on their bench could start for a lot of teams And so I think they have good depth Uh, just with what I know of the crew. Like they have really good depth too. And there's a lot of players who um, could probably play in those positions as well, who aren't starting players for the crew right now, but could come on and, contribute significant minutes. So yeah, I'd have to think about that a little bit more as far as every team, but those are the two teams that for me just kind of stick out right away. How about you?
0: I'll throw in one more. It's the Red Bulls for me. I still don't have a great read on this team since Chris Armas has taken over for Jesse Marsh, but I know still at the core is that desire to press and to press and to press. They're more selective now, I think under Armas than they were under Marsh. They spend a little bit more time in a a more reserved defensive block right around the mid, the midway line on the field. Well, they're still going to press and they're looking for those cues and those triggers to get forward if every single player players number one through 30 or one through 23 knows the triggers and knows when to press and how to press that could be a really good opportunity for armas to change his lineup more consistently and to rotate quickly because if i'm coming off the bench and going to play right mid I'm going to know how to do that job in theory just as well as the guy who started on the field at that spot. I can press. I can run. I have the same energy and the same legs and the same fitness as that guy did. So I might lack a little of the on-ball work or some of the technical aspects, but I might still have the same ability to press as the starting right midfielder did. And so to me... It's not a huge problem whether you're you're bringing a guy off the bench, or the third string right midfielder or the second string or the first string, because the core of that team is still to press. And that doesn't change whether it's yeah. Danny Royer playing right midfield or whether that's the third string guy who's 17 years old who just came up from the USL side. It doesn't make any difference. Um, so having that yeah. ability to just go through your depth chart could be a real asset for the Red Bulls.
1: And to follow along with that idea of just cohesion and knowing what to expect, I, I think I'm going to throw Gay Alice in there, too, hmm. is because they have a lot of young players. But if you think about it, they've grown up in this academy where Lucha Gonzalez was coaching in right. that academy and now he's the head <laughs> yeah. team coach, the, the first team coach. So it's not as if they don't know what it's expected of them from this situation being with the first team now. And so I think that there is a cohesion that has has been built within that organization that could benefit them with the youth and ability to recover a little bit quicker that these young players might have.
0: And that's a credit to Dallas in the way that they built their club, right? Having that identity from top to bottom, from the youngest age level of the academy to the senior team, now to the USL League One team as well, Having that uniformity across levels allows them to be set for a situation like this, which essentially is just a really compressed season all in one. Right. So having that identity, that uniform identity makes them a perfect team to have cohesive style from game to game, even in a crazy tournament like this one.
2: Mhm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good point.
2: Hey everybody, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show jumping in very quickly. Uh, we will have much more, much, much more still to come from Joe and Jordan, but first I wanted to let you know that this episode of MLS Assist is brought to you by Podium Podium Wear is a custom team apparel manufacturer in Minnesota that is turning the world of team soccer kit ordering on its head. They provide custom designs and a full line of soccer apparel, all made to order in their St. Paul factory. Uh, that is a family-owned St. Paul factory. In normal times, we would talk about how great this process is, how your experience ordering for your team or your kids' teams uh, will be made infinitely easier by them, but these are not normal times, obviously. Because of the COVID-19 crisis, Podium Wear has started making face masks for you to wear while you're out and about, uh, on the sideline of a soccer match, or even during your workouts. You can buy one for yourself or customize masks for a team. Uh, And if you're like me, if you have to use the temporary masks on occasion, uh, those things add up. You run out really quickly and then it's just a bunch of waste. So if you get some custom ones that you like wearing out, then you can cut down on that waste and have a mask that you like. Uh, That's always a positive. Uh, So Go to PodiumWear.com and get your custom mask today and bookmark them for when you're ready for your next soccer kit order. That's PodiumWear.com. Check them out today. Thank you very much to PodiumWear for sponsoring this episode. Now back to Joe and Jordan.
0: Moving forward here, Jordan, you alluded to it earlier. The structure of this tournament is uh, mathematically unfair. Let's put it that way. It's not... um... Okay. It's not even. Thanks to our friends at American Soccer Analysis, John Muller, who's also been on the podcast, sent out a tweet. And it's essentially a graph of how MLS's back is structured now versus how it could be structured in a better, more fair world. It's not, it's not even because one group has six teams, Jordan. Group A, they have extra teams in their group, which literally puts them at a mathematical disadvantage to get out of the tournament.
1: Yeah, and one of the things that I love about this tweet and the work for from uh, the experts over (laughs) at uh, American Soccer Analysis is that they're really breaking it down to show how it could just be slightly different. And at this point, that Group A only has a fifty percent chance of getting through to the next round, where every other every other group has a sixty five percent chance. If you just Change it and say the top half of each group. So that then increases group A to having three teams that advance and that fourth place team in group A would also have the ability to get one of those um, third place spots. I think that really changes. So much. It gives them a 60% chance, and then everybody else's 62% chance, which that is such a more even structure. Yeah. Why, I guess,
0: why not have, and this is my question about why MLS structured the way it did. First of all, my question was why is there a six team group, right? I'm not sure we've even talked about that yet, really, until just now. There are five groups that have four teams and then one group that has six teams for seemingly no reason, right? And so that's baffling in and of itself. And so originally I was thinking, why not have two of the Eastern Conference groups have five teams, right? Then you have five and five and then four groups of four and you have a little more uniformity there. But ASA took it one step further. And this is based off of 10,000 games they simulated with, with mostly data from 2019, but also with a little bit of data from this 2020 season as young as it is so far, they simulated this and realized that with the current structure, as you said, Jordan, there's a 15% disparity between group a and the rest of the groups. So group a is literally at a disadvantage based off of simulation. If you tweak it a little bit to the rules that you're just describing, top half of each group advances, the top three third place teams advance and group a's fourth place team is eligible kind of as a pseudo third place team. Then you're almost even you're at a 2% disparity. That's a 13% difference. You can't tell me Jordan that if, if the MLS teams in group a actually care about this tournament outside of the group stage matches at least you can't tell me that they're not looking at something like this and feeling slighted i don't understand why mls didn't take a different approach to structuring this tournament and it doesn't matter for us right we get games either way but for the teams in group a Why not actually run the numbers, right? There's got to be someone who works for MLS who does analytics that can run numbers like this and say, hey, maybe we should spend a little bit less time thinking about the name for the tournament um, and a little more time thinking about how we actually structure this thing. I don't know. We Essentially, I kind of forced Jordan and I to talk about this on the show because this is baffling to me and I feel like it needs to be addressed by independent media. And so I'm thankful to American Soccer Analysis for doing that and for allowing us to talk about it because it still absolutely confounds me, Jordan.
1: Yeah, it's you know I, I didn't really understand it going into seeing that tweet, right? I knew that I just knew as someone who works for a team in the Eastern Conference, <laughs> I didn't want I didn't want to be in Group A, right? Because I didn't really understand how that was going to work out and how they were going to even even structure the group stage for yeah. that. And then you see this, and it makes me even more happy that. I don't have to figure out group A. <laughs> yep.
0: Yeah. Nobody wants to figure out group A. Only as far as I know, Jordan, the schedule for this tournament is not out. Obviously, this, the games have not been announced yet. Only one team in that group, I think it was Nashville put out a tweet with their scheduled games. So they're still only playing three group stage games. So th- there is uniformity there. There's, right. there is still the same number of group stage games there, but. Man, those teams, if they actually want to go for it and win this thing, are definitely at a disadvantage.
1: Well, actually, Joe, the schedule as we're recording this isn't quite out yet. But from what I've heard is by the time our show actually drops, that there might be a schedule out there floating around in the Internet universe. (laughs) So uh, when people are listening to this, know that at the time of recording, we just didn't have access to that um, as it was the day before. We we actually drop. So it's it's a Monday recording for this this Tuesday show. Right. So
0: all of our listeners listening to this are smarter than we are right now. Yes. They know what's happening. They are. We're still in the dark. Um man, I'm a little jealous now. But I guess that's fine. I'll set that aside. <laughs> let's move forward. Jordan, let's actually talk about these groups. Even okay. unfair group A, poor group A. Let's run through these groups. Let's talk about each group. Jordan, when prepping for the show, you took the Eastern Conference groups, I took the Western Conference. Mm-hmm. Group A, let's talk about it.
1: So we kind of went into this, everybody, with this idea of like, what's one thing that kind of sticks out to us? What do we, what do we want to go like big, big grand scheme of things, uh, what we're interested in? And so Group A is Orlando, Inter-Miami, New York City FC, Philadelphia Union, Chicago Fire FC and Nashville. And so I'm looking at these teams, Joe, and one, two expansion teams are in this group. Yep. Um, with two of the best teams in the Eastern Conference the last season with uh, Philly and New York City. So um, my big thing that I'm taking out of this for Group A is is identity, right? So there's two expansion teams and there's also three other teams with new head coaches. Uh, Chicago has a new coach. New York City has a new coach. Orlando has a new coach. Who are these teams? Yeah. We don't really know who these teams are. Even though we knew who New York City was last year, We are still just not quite sure of who they're going to be, even though we've saw we seen every team play two games. We talked about the history of tactics for all these new coaches, right? If you didn't listen to that podcast, we dropped it all the way back in February uh, about all of these coaches and Joe and I broke down what they tend to like to do. But now they've had a few months and they've gotten to know their players a little bit more, both on and off the field, right? And maybe they've adjusted a little bit and maybe they're going to have to adjust and adapt due to how the implementation of that went in the first couple games, but also the implementation of their tactics in this tournament. So I think my big question in group A is just like the identity of these teams. Who are they and who do they believe they can be? Because I think there's still a lot of um, to be known.
0: Yeah. So many unknowns in group A, I think maybe even more than any other group, although I've got an unknown group in mine as well. We don't know. <laughs> we just straight up do yeah. not know. We have an idea of how inter Miami and how Orlando and how Nashville, we, we have an idea of how these teams want to play. But we're not sure, right? We'd be lying if we said we were. Even Chicago under Rafael Vicky, we talked about that last week with Jordy Mihalovich as sort of being the excuse for that conversation about how Chicago play. We know they want to keep the ball. We know some different patterns and rotations that they like. But how these teams actually take the field in Orlando could be different than that. So seeing how these teams continue to develop under their head coaches or even these teams that are new to the league continue to develop in Major League Soccer at all, that's going to be a major thing to follow with so many unknowns and so many question marks in, in big Group A.
1: Right. So that's my my one big takeaway from Group A. Well, I think we can just make these pretty short and sweet Absolutely. to the point, right? You, yeah, you want yeah. to head on to
0: Group B? So Group B is the Seattle Sounders, FC Dallas, Vancouver Whitecaps, and the San Jose Earthquakes. To me... We've got a big class divide in Group B. Um, we've got Seattle and FC Dallas. Seattle was a top-seeded team. FC Dallas, a, a pretty universally accepted contender in the Western Conference. But then we've got Vancouver, who is still an unknown, another unknown. There are lots of these teams in MLS, I'm learning, Jordan. An unknown under Mark Dos Santos, and then the San Jose Earthquakes, who had a really, really poor start to the season. Again, just like last season with the man-marking system. I didn't think they would struggle as much as they did under Almeida at the beginning of this year. I thought they got it out of their system last year. Clearly, they did not. So this class divide is interesting to me, right? Will the standings reflect that divide? Will we see Dallas and and the Seattle Sounders move on from this group, and the other two teams not advance? Or will Vancouver and San Jose lean hard into the defensive side of things? Are we going to see marco Santos have his team sit back in a four four two or a four five one, and have Almeida's team sit, press aggressively, but let the team advance, advance, advance into the opposing half, then go crazy with the man marking? Are we going to see these teams defend, 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 and make life really, really hard for Dallas when they try to break them down and hard for the Sounders when they are forced to have possession? Or are the two teams that are are perceived to be the top teams in this group just going to run away with it? That's my question. Uh-huh. What are we going to see, especially from the underdogs in this group? Are they going right. to be able to defend effectively enough to actually make it into the knockout stages?
1: All I know, Joe, is I know that if you call Chris Wondolowski an underdog, he's going to score a lot of goals on you. (laughs)
0: That's true. I was looking at I was looking through his movement in the box the other day in a game against Orlando City, Um, a clip that a buddy and I were sending back and forth with each other. And his movement in the box is unbelievable. So if if any of the other three teams in this group take a breath, don't mark Chris Wondolowski, don't check their shoulder in the box. The earthquakes are going to get out of this group. That is for sure, Jordan. That's a really good point.
1: Yeah, I just I can't. I can't count him out; he just is when you just have a true goal score, it doesn't matter how many chances you have yeah. he's gonna find a way to score and so i I think that is a good point that there are it's like this group is very divided right yeah, yeah, but um I just don't know i I would say San Jose over um Vancouver just in my brief you know that's the first thing I think about it's a tournament you never know huh you
0: never know you never know Group C Jordan what you got.
1: All right. So Toronto, New England, Montreal, and DC are the composition of Group C. The thing that stuck stuck out to me was just Montreal. I'm just very intrigued by Montreal. We talked about uh, Thierry Henry coming in as a head coach in MLS. How is how was he going to play? We kind of had an idea, and then he came in and did what we thought. But I think his team also surprised yeah, us as definitely. well, right? And I just think that in a way, the way he wants to play actually could be really beneficial in a tournament setup uh, with this like six defend, five attack, kind of half and half <laughs> little thing that we saw at moments. Um, but the only thing I wonder is just being without the ball those first couple games, like, will that be able to withstand the heat in Orlando? We'll find out, Jordan. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have an answer to that question. But it's an intriguing group, right? I think I think a lot of those teams like Toronto is is probably the team that you think, okay, they're sure into a shoe in to go to the next stage. But I don't know. I, I think that this group might be a little bit more wide open.
0: There's truly no easy groups. There's no guarantees between the wild structure of the tournament, between a lot of unknown entities in terms of teams and coaches and players. We've got a lot of questions, and we're going to find out answers to these starting when the tournament actually begins. But right now, almost all we have is questions. Um, so moving right. on to Group D, we've got RSL, Sporting Kansas City, the Rapids, and Minnesota United. For me, and I'm going to keep this short and sweet because I'm almost certainly going right. to talk about this more in next week's show. I love the Colorado-Sporting Kansas City matchup in this group. This game has the potential, I think, to give us the best soccer of the entire group stage. If both teams have shaken off the rust by that point, I think this could be really, really nice to watch. SKC, I think, have been training longer than any other team in Major League Soccer so far. So if any team can shake off the rust and play cleanly in possession in their 4-3-3 that we know they love, it's SKC. And if Colorado can match that and match the intensity and match the possession style, which I think is what they want to do under Robin Fraser anyway, at least to an extent. Maybe not as all-in as Peter Vermees is on that style, we're going to see some really nice soccer, plus three of the most interesting additions, I think, across Major League Soccer from the offseason. Mm. polito mm-hmm. Garekinda, Yunus Namli, all three players that I really enjoy watching. I think they're going to bring a lot to this league, and I think they're going to bring a lot to that game in Group D.
1: You talk about that matchup, and I'm so intrigued, too, because there are similarities within those players i think or, or their impact that they could have within their squad that i just want to see them match up against that opposing team so
0: yeah it's oh, gonna yeah. be a fun group and and minnesota united just to toss that in i think they could be uniquely suited to to really do well in a tournament style with the way that mm-hmm. uh with the way that adrian heath wants them to play against the ball most of the time hitting quickly on the counter with some creative attacking players they could be a team to watch in this tournament as well
1: Do you feel like they have, are still have some momentum from the first couple of games? Because they were, they were flying high. They were,
0: absolutely. And I think part of that was a matchup against the Earthquakes. Um, I think that had to do with sort of their hot start to the season. But I think, Jordan, honestly, I think momentum is gone at this point. I really do. I think this is a clean slate. Teams, teams and matchups are going to depend. Yeah, confidence could be higher. You're
1: confident in who you are, right? And I think that helps.
0: That's not going to hurt Minnesota, to say the least.
1: It's not going to hurt. Right. Okay, so final group in the East is Columbus, Atlanta, Red Bulls and Cincinnati. So when this group was chosen, um, I think everybody immediately thought, well, at least if you live in Ohio, you saw Hell is Real matchup (laughs) between. Columbus crew and FC Cincinnati. And so that is kind of where all the eyeballs went, all the attention went, because there are a couple of groups that um, involve uh, some key matchups, right. Or some rivalry type matchups. And so I think that, When I'm looking at this group, of course, I think about that. But I'm I'm really interested in the Atlanta-New York-Red Bull matchup because historically, this team has played in some really big games. Last fall, they played to a 3-3 draw. And so there you're talking a lot of goals. You're talking a high-paced game. They played in the 2018 playoffs against each other. I'm just interested to see, like you mentioned before, you know, who are the Red Bulls under Chris Armas and who is Atlanta without Joseph Martinez so I think that's kind of where why I circled this and said all right I want to know more about this matchup
0: it's a clash of styles too right the Red Bulls mostly want to play against the ball Frank Boer wants to keep the ball with his Atlanta United team that in itself makes for an intriguing tactical matchup which I'm looking forward to talking about obviously um, so yeah I think that's going to be a really fun one With with a lot of history there as well, in addition to the hell is real Derby. Right, right. Exactly. All right, I'm gonna end us out here with Group F, LAOC, the Houston Dynamo, the Los Angeles Galaxy, and the Portland Timbers. Group F is fun to me, Jordan, because it's sort of LAFC and then after that, who on earth knows, right? We don't know. Houston, again, a team with a new coach. They're in their very, very, very early stages of their revamp under Tab Ramos. And the last time we checked, the Galaxy weren't able to attack at all, really, um, at least not consistently, and the Timbers couldn't defend. So that's a nice little mixture of question marks in specific attributes for these teams. If these teams have used this offseason, this mini in-season offseason, to address <laughs> and at least analyze some of their mistakes in the film room, I think we could be looking at a really exciting group. Because we imagine the Portland Timbers coming out, and they're defending in a tight 4-4-2 block instead of that whatever it was that you talked about, Jordan, to start the season. And they're making life really difficult for the Galaxy or for LAFC or for Houston, who, who mostly want to keep possession... The Galaxy are the exception to that. But imagine the Timbers are out there defending, and the Houston Dynamo are in the possession-centric 4-3-3 that Ramos wants, and they're moving the ball freely, and Albert Elise is back in the lineup after that injury he got in preseason. And imagine the Galaxy with Christian Pavon are now firing on all cylinders. They found a way to get Chicharito more involved in the attack. There are so many things that could happen to make these games just incredibly entertaining— and then, again, you've got LEFC, so that doesn't hurt your group either. So this yeah. this matchup, I, this group, I have no idea how it's going to go. I have no idea how it's going to turn out, but I think it's going to be a fun one. Group F stands for fun, after all. What <laughs> am I doing here? Jordan, oh, man.
1: I love it. Oh, my gosh, keep that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, we will. I will just for you, Jordan. I will just for you. Okay. So we've got we've got groups on groups on groups of games coming up. Jordan, next week, we're going through our very specific predictions. So that's, that's the theme of next week's show, is to analyze these games in a little bit more detail to talk about players and matchups and groups so stay tuned that's why we just sort of touched on the groups this week because we're going to go into more detail on the teams themselves for our show next week yeah
2: Hey, everybody. Taylor jumping in one last time to let you know that this episode of MLS Assist is brought to you in part by Roman. Making a doctor's appointment and then getting to the doctor can be difficult, especially in coronavirus times when there's some uncertainty about going out in public and going into a place where sick people go. Uh, So if you're dealing with an issue like erectile dysfunction, you might even be less inclined to go to a doctor these days. That's where Roman comes in. They spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor license in your state, all from the comfort of your home. They make it really convenient to get treatment on your schedule. You uh, use your phone, computer, you can use either one, maybe even a tablet, who knows. You complete a free online visit, you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. If the doctor decides the treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. Uh, you can also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or you want uh, to adjust your treatment plan in any way. So that means you don't have to wait on hold for forever, then you don't have to drive to the doctor, see the doctor, wait in the waiting room. Again, that's the name of the room, you have to wait. So instead, you can get it done very quickly and very easily uh, by going to get slash TSS for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Uh, one more time. If you're struggling with ED, go to get Roman.com slash TSS for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Thank you very much to Roman for sponsoring this episode of MLS assist. Now back one last time to Jordan and Joe.
0: Jordan, we've talked about groups here. We've gone a through F. We need to talk about players. There's been a lot of player news, new guys coming into the league or players coming back into the league or players that are going to make an impact for these teams finally after an injury or whatever it is. So starting right off the bat to lead with the biggest announcement, the athletics Paul Tenorio reported on Friday that LGP is coming back to MLS. According to Paul, Inter-Miami are in the process of finalizing an agreement to sign him, ending LGP's time with Tijuana and Liga MX. The question here, Jordan, is number one, what does he bring to Miami? And number two, How stoked are you to see LGP back in this league?
1: Oh, my gosh. A wildcat. Like, I just honestly, the first thing I think of when I think of him is he's just a wildcat. Like, yeah, just has this like tenacity about him, which could like be amazing or it can be too much. And so the one thing I think, what does he bring to Miami? That was your question to me. I, he brings stability. He knows MLS. He's played in the Eastern Conference. He knows what it takes to win. So I think that although he can be wild at times and adding him in a backline next to Torres, I think if you're Miami, it makes you a little bit nervous. <laughs> but um, I mean, I don't know if that's going to be the pairing, but. Uh, he, I think, has the leadership in order to help this back line for Miami be successful.
0: And I think, actually, I think we could see a back three from Diego Alonso in Miami. Oh. We saw that in their second game of the season against DC United. We've got Roman Torres, right, already on the roster. They've also got Nico Figal, who I think was one of the guys who stood out the most in the first couple weeks of the season. He was a real impact player, mostly playing on the left side, even though he is right-footed. So here's what I'm thinking for Miami. Maybe Diego Alonso puts Nico Figal on the right side of a back three that allows him to be on a stronger right foot to pass the ball forward, to make runs forward, because he loves to do that as well. Then maybe it's Roman Torres or Reyes in the middle, who's a young Colombian player who got a little bit of time in the second game as well. Then it's LGP on the left side. LGP is also right-footed, but he's played on the left side of a back three plenty for Atlanta, with Tata Martino especially. So maybe it's that back three and Diego Alonso just really goes hard with allowing his center backs to be impact players in the attack because that's Figal and LGP's specialty in a lot of ways. It's scary. And I tweeted about this. I have no idea how he's going to rein those guys in when he needs to. But as a neutral, as a neutral observer in MLS who likes center backs, I'm stoked to see LGP back in MLS, especially with a team like Miami who already has a really fun defensive core.
1: Yeah, but he just couldn't stay away.
0: (laughs) he loves the league too much moving forward to another into Miami player we're going to see Julian Carranza in into Miami colors for the first time this season recovered from injury 20 years old Argentinian came over from Banfield in Argentina Jordan we both watched footage of this guy to get an idea of how mm-hmm. he could impact into Miami and impact Diego Alonso's system what did you like from Carranza what's sort of your scouting report on his game
1: the first thing I wrote down was his he's just opportunistic in front of goal. I really like the timing of his runs. He's really good at uh, fading away to try to um, get lost or, or sneak off the back shoulder of a defender and then cutting in front of them to win the the space at the near post. He has this fearlessness about him that I think is is really important for a, a number nine. And I think he could be really a really good player for this Miami squad but the, the question I have is will he get the service he needs from mm. Inter Miami in order to show how good he is at timing his runs how fearless he is in front of goal uh, so those are, that's the question I have but really the characteristics of who he is because he's, a, he's an out-and-out goal scorer
0: yeah, he is. He is. And in my notes, Jordan, before I even knew you were going to ask me that question, even if it is rhetorical, I wrote down Carranza and Rodolfo Pizarro are going to get along just fine. Yeah, that's what I wrote. Because I do think Pizarro is the one sort of more attacking playmakery kind of guy that they have. Um, and mm-hmm. I think he could be the answer to that question. I don't know if it's enough, okay. right? I don't know if Pizarro is enough to get Carranza consistent service. But if they can get Pizarro and they can get, I don't know, a David Silva type guy from Europe somewhere into this squad, then you're really cooking because I do think Carranza, that movement in the box that you highlighted is his game. He takes shots from really good locations. I looked at all of his shots from his last 10 games with Banfield and his shot quality was very, very, very good. Very few shots from outside the box, very few from weird angles from just, you know, shots that aren't likely to go in mathematically. Most of them were right in the middle of the box near the penalty spot or in front of that towards the goal. So having a guy like that who is going to lurk in the box to get touches and to get shots on goal in dangerous areas. If Pizarro mm-hmm. or if someone else on Miami's roster right now can step up, Pellegrini maybe is that other guy. We yeah. haven't seen enough of him yeah. yet. But if he can get that service, he's going to be a dangerous player for them.
1: Yeah, he's the other player that I thought of could be the service for um, Carranza. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think that's my big question.
0: And that's not, I mean, we've got a whole list of guys here, Jordan. That's not the only player who's coming in to Major League Soccer as a number nine. Franco Hada. FC Dallas, new signing as a number nine, came over on a pre-contract. This guy's a goal scorer too, Jordan.
1: Whew. I kept watching highlights of him because I... This is going to be dangerous. When you're you're thinking about FC Dallas and who they have uh, in order to distribute Tahara, like, he's going to get the ball in really good spots. And not only is he a goal scorer, so he spent... Five seasons at Pachuca scored 76 goals and 19 assists in 156 158 appearances. That's that's huge goals in yeah, Liga yeah. MX. And, and so, yes, he's a goal scorer. But one of the things that I really found interesting about him is he likes to pick up the ball and beat you on the dribble. Like he will beat you one v one. And one of the things he likes to do in this 1v1 scenario is every time he touches the ball with his foot, like his right foot, say, he lifts his right foot and it touched the ball. So you don't know what's going to happen next. You don't know if he's going to take a shot the next time he touches the ball, if he's going to chop it back. He likes this chop back that he does a lot at full pace. And it really makes it hard for the defender to say, OK, I know he's going to push it by me or I know he's going to do this cut back, because you don't know. He's very deceptive in his dribbling and keeps the ball close and it makes it difficult for defenders to get after him so um, I think he's going to fit in very nicely at Dallas
0: as do I I wonder this though I don't think he starts right off the bat for FC Dallas I think maybe Carranza and maybe LGP get minutes a little sooner for Inter Miami in terms of guys we've talked about here but Andrasic kind of has that number nine spot right now and maybe that changes in training between now and the tournament I don't know but I could very easily see Luchi Gonzalez bringing him off the bench, maybe in the first game, later in the match, letting him get a few minutes, maybe he scores a goal, maybe he gets a few chances and gets a few more minutes in the second match. And then maybe by the end of this tournament, he is the guy. But Andrasic has done some good things in MLS after a, after a difficult start for him in the league. If we can see that slow progression from Hara coming off the bench, then I think we're talking about him getting in as the starting number nine for Luchi Gonzalez. But until then, I still think he comes off the bench.
1: I don't disagree. I think he will probably come off the bench because you don't want to like rock the, I think rock the boat with especially with a forward who's uh, has scored goals this season who is feeling confident, who's done a good job. But if you're Hara and you're coming into a new league, you could really do a number in that role coming off the bench, playing 30 minutes and disrupting teams who are tired from the heat in a lot of games. uh, I wouldn't be a player who would be opposed to that.
0: Yeah, I think it would be a really good situation for Hara. His introduction into the league in a strange time, sure. But it's a great way to get progressive minutes and work your way into becoming more familiar with this Dallas team. Right. Our next player up to give a scouting report on is Andy Nahar. Coming back to Major League Soccer after some time with DC United. 26 Honduran, right back mostly. Moving from Andrew Lecht in Belgium to LAFC. Jordan, when I watched Andy Nahar, I saw an aggressive defender active in getting forward to press. Maybe a little too active at times. Maybe a little more... Um, Maybe a little less reined in than I think you would typically see from a right back. But that kind of fits in with what Bob Bradley wants, right? Because after the LAFC lose the ball, they need that quick pressure. They need to be able to win the ball back quickly and strongly and consistently. And Andy Nahar sort of helps do that. He's also solid in possession as well, which is an asset to an LAFC team. I don't think you'd be on that team if you weren't at least serviceable with the ball. But my perception of Andy Nahar is a really athletic, quick defender who likes to get forward and press and likes to get forward in the attack as well.
1: Yeah, and listening to Bob Bradley talk about him, he, he knows they, they've been watching him for a long time. They know that he's got to fit in with this style uh at LAFC. And not only is he good in possession, but because of his... High pressing ability, right? His offensive mindedness that he likes to go 1v1 with a, a player on the wing. So, can there be um, overloads on that right side? Can LAFC use him flying forward? Uh, he not only can service the ball from there, but one of the things I noticed about him is he does a really good job as an outside back sneaking into the attacking third on the weak side. He scored many goals just being that late runner who's cleaning up the garbage on the backside, which uh, there's not always a lot of garbage with LAFC, but <laughs> if there need to, needed to be someone to do that, he's going to be that person. So, um, yeah, I think this is an interesting pickup because this is one of the positions for LAFC that we've talked about a lot is this right outside back spot.
0: Yeah. And, and in my notes, Jordan, I had down to ask you, is this the end of, of your beloved Tristan Blackman at right
2: back?
1: You know what? You made me think about that, Joe, because we've talked a lot about Blackman as outside back and then I'm thinking about the how he shifts into the midfield often and can be effective in the midfield and he's played center back as well right so he kind of like has played all these positions but I'm thinking is this is this LAFC saying okay we're going to sell Attuesta
2: hmm.
1: we're going to get rid of him right and, and can Blackman fill in a central spot where Attuesta was playing do you think that's realistic
0: I think it's possible I think this shift with Nahar coming in, turns Blackman in from the starting right back to the all-around defensive utility player. That's my thought here. So I think I don't think it's the end of Blackman at right back. I think it's yeah. it could be the shift into central defensive midfield, like you're talking about. It could be the shift over to right center back. It could be him still playing right back in certain situations against certain matchups that Bob Bradley thinks better suits his skill set to be that sort of interseam, narrow kind of fullback on the right side. Mm-hmm. So I think this might be the end of, of Blackman there every game. But I do still think whether whether Atuesta is here or not, whether he now is in the lineup after Atuesta gets sold, regardless of what the roster looks like, as long as Blackman's there, he has the ability to play multiple spots. Defensive midfielder could be one of them, Jordan. I do think that's a really good observation. But I think he's going to be this utility guy, the perfect player to fit in at a number of spots in the defensive area of the field for Bob Bradley.
1: It, it won't be the end of it, but it'll definitely be a transition to something different, I think.
0: Absolutely. The next evolution of Tristan Blackman. Well, I, I have a feeling we'll talk about that plenty on the show. Don't worry. Right. Um, the last <laughs> player that we wanted to sort of give a moment to on the show is Federico Iguain, Former yeah. Columbus crew playmaker, now a player coach with DC United. Ben Olsen said to MLSsoccer.com that Iguain is going to be playing in this tournament. We're going to see the number 10 playing in DC United's attack, likely in the middle of the field, trying to give Ola Kamara and Edson Flores more touches on the ball. I'm here for it, Jordan.
1: Yeah. Uh, I think you you asked me, can he help Ben Elson's attack? And I didn't even write anything down because, <laughs> like... Iguain, of course, like, of course, he's one of the best players to um, impact players in MLS, right, that the MLS has seen. I think if you talk about how long he played for Columbus and what he did at at the crew, uh, he sees the game on a different level. And I think one of the things that DC has lacked is creativity in the attacking half, right? Mm. This is exactly who Iguain is.
0: And I again, I don't think we're going to get a lot of minutes out of Higuain. I think we're looking yeah. at maybe a half here, 30 minutes there, things like that. But that's enough. That's enough time right, yeah. for him to impact a game. He plays Ola Kamara in behind the back line, or Flores or Gressel out to the wing for them to whip a whip a ball into the box. He can do so many things to improve and add a little creativity to DC United, which I think is something they've lacked for a long time now.
1: No, exactly. And I think when you're if you're talking about players who don't need a lot of time, I don't think he's a player who needs he needs ninety minutes to impact the game. He could sit on the bench for forty five minutes sixty minutes seventy minutes, and he could come in and he could say "I've figured it out right yeah i've been watching I know exactly how I can break this team down. He can go in, say two things to his teammates and and help his team be successful
0: again i I really do think he's going to add creativity that d c United have been lacking for a long time, and that's only going to help mm-hmm. their other attacking players who are decently high-profile guys, right? We've talked about all of them on the show before. Having someone to feed those players, even in limited minutes, is going to be really big for them and could add a whole nother dimension to DC United in this tournament.
1: All right, Joe, I feel like that's a pretty good wrap-up of all these players that are either new to the league, new to different teams, or uh, are coming back from injury, as we saw with Higuain, who's a little double dose there <laughs> uh, as our last player. Um, But before we wrap up the show, we've got a few listener questions that I think we should get to. You want to try to get those pretty quickly here?
0: Yeah, let's move through them. So the first one is from Michael Biederman. He says, putting specific teams aside... What kind of tactical system do you think is best suited for a tournament like MLS's back, giving player rustiness, which I love that word, by the way, rustiness, player rustiness, limited team practices, heat, fixture congestion, etc.? So, Jordan, is there a specific tactical style that you think is better suited to a tournament format like this one?
1: Uh Gosh, I think my first thought is how can you make the other team feel most uncomfortable, right? And in this kind of setup, I think tactic wise, like I would just want to keep the ball is I think keeping possession and manipulating numbers in attack in order to exploit the space that you want to exploit is going to be the key. Also, I think about being the team who doesn't have the ball and how frustrating that always was for me. And I didn't like that as a player. Um, I didn't I knew it was important at moments to be a a set defensive structured team, but it's not the way I would want to play. Right. So I think keeping the ball, you tire out the other team, having them making them work from um, side to side, even if they're compact, it's still mentally exhausting not to have the ball all that time. So I don't know. That's my, that's how, where I would go.
0: I think in a perfect world, I agree with you, right. In a perfect world without player rustiness, as Michael put it, (laughs) I think then you're spot on, right? The more you have the ball, the more you can defend with the ball and attack with the ball. Mm -hmm. It's perfect, right? That's why Mm -hmm. we see Pep Guardiola want to play that way. That's why we see all these high profile coaches keep the ball and play this really nice soccer. This is a hard time to do that. This is a difficult time to have that idealistic view of the game. And so my theme sort of of this question is if you're not on the ball or if you don't have the ball, you can't make mistakes with the ball. You can't turn the ball over in the back. You can't lose the ball in midfield and suffer a counterattack. So I think I might disagree with you here, Jordan. I think as difficult and as mentally taxing as it is to play without the ball, I think that might be the way to go. We saw France do it in the World Cup. We've seen teams in the past do it in tournaments where if you don't have the ball, you wait for it, you wait for it, you wait for it. You win the ball, then you go quickly, and it's 1-0. It's not easy, and I'm not saying it is, and I don't even know that this is the right answer. But I think that is sort of the differing perspective from from the answer that you gave, Michael's question.
1: I think you're right there, Joe. In some way, shape, or form, right? <laughs> that uh, yeah, you can't you can't make a mistake if you don't have the ball. But I think that the the structure of this tournament is not like the World Cup, and so I think it's hard to compare tactics with France hmm. in the World Cup, unless you're specifically only talking about after group play. I think. These group play games are going to be like an MLS regular season games. They're going to have that feel. They're going to have the same similar tactic. Um, You want the three points you want to win. And I think that teams are going to try to be as much of themselves as they can. I hope
0: that's the answer, right? I actually do think that is the answer to this question. I think to finally, because we hit both sides of it, right? We didn't actually get to it until that point. I think (laughs) the answer to Michael's question in my mind is the best system or the best style is what you're good at. Right For LAFC, they're not going to go out there and defend without the ball. Right, They're going to play with the ball. They're going to move it around and use that as their way to attack and defend. If they just sat in a defensive block, I think, honestly, they would get killed in a lot of instances. They don't know how to defend very well in a low block. That's just the reality. And if you ask Minnesota United to go out there and defend with the ball actively and playing with possession and trying to spread the field, they wouldn't do well either. So maybe the answer here is... Play to your strengths, and for some teams that's going to be keep possession, and to some teams that's going to mean sit deep, counter, score goals that way. I don't know. I think I think it really does depend on the team. Maybe that is maybe that does get to the answer yeah. to this question.
1: It's hard saying universal because there's so many different style teams in MLS. You can't just say, oh, just go play like this. It'll you'll, you'll win games. Well, that's right. not true.
0: Yeah, it's difficult. I think I think we do still have our own separate leanings on this question. Um, right. <laughs> but we we came together there a little bit to get to a conclusion to Michael's question. Next one up, Jordan, why don't you hit me with this one?
1: Okay, Jeffrey wants to know, some slash most slash all the teams seem to make tactical adjustments for when they play at home versus on the road. How do you feel teams will adjust to playing a tournament on a neutral site? Will they go with home tactics, away taxic- tactics, or a hybrid? I don't know about
0: you, Jordan. I'm not sure I'm totally sold on the idea that teams make like big tactical changes depending on the location of the game. I get there's the the mental aspect of it, right? You're more comfortable playing at home on the road. There's the travel aspect to it. There's the geographical aspect to it. But I'm not sure that a lot of coaches make big sweeping changes to how they want to play in one game at home versus another game on the road.
1: They're not big sweeping changes. I think you can make small adjustments that maybe seem a little bit more home or away. You know, just... To use an example of like a Colorado or or RSL, if you're an away team and you're going in there, you're probably going to save some things for the last 20 minutes to know that, okay, we might have to make adjustments due to just the altitude and how that might affect You know, if it's a midweek game, then we might not have the same amount of legs underneath us and we might not have the same recovery and it might hit us a little harder. So you might change some things there. But I don't think that really the changes that teams make are these overarching, huge changes when they play home versus away. I think it's just minor adjustments here and there.
0: Yeah, and again, I think that maybe the final answer to this question is teams are going to do what they do best, right? They're going to be small tweaks depending on the guys they have available are depending on the substitutions at any given time, but I'm not sure they're going to come in with set tactics that they think are different because they're playing in Orlando. We're still going to see, we're still going to see teams do what they want to do and coaches do what they want to do, even in this unique situation.
1: Yeah. The, the tactics I, the things that I thought might impact the tactics are time of the game, Hmm. the score of the game and the phase of the tournament. So, I think I said this earlier, but I think the first game is really there. They're going to set the tone, right? How we want to play. I think it's every team is going to go in there. That home field advantage type tactics. Just go for it. Like we're going to play how we want to play. This is what we believe our team is. But by the third game in the group stage, I think we're going to see more tactical switches from lines of confrontation, which will probably fluctuate a little bit more throughout the entire tournament just due to, you know, time of your game. If it is during a more hot time of the day, um, the number of subs that you've used, if you're, if you've switched your front, um, high press offense players, right? The three up front, maybe a couple of midfielders or an outside back. If you switch those in the second half, maybe you can go press a little bit higher and your line of confrontation can then go higher up the field uh, later in the game. But once you get into the tournament, it's about advancing and it doesn't, the tactics are all going to change because you want to win that game. And so you're going to probably change your tactics to maybe play more like France, right? And two, maybe sit back a little bit, be more compact and break on the counter. I don't know, and I think that it, to me, those are the things that are going to change, not necessarily like uh, home and away tactics. Fair
0: enough. All right, we've got one more question here, Jordan. This one is from Zach Bury. He says, besides Carlos Vela, what player do you think has the ability to get on a hot streak and carry their team to the finals of this tournament? I've got a couple of players. I'm sure you do, too. Who's on your list?
1: OK, yeah, this is hard. I think I first was like, OK, what does it mean to carry your team? Does it mean just to be a goal scorer?
0: Kind of. Yeah, I, I think it actually might. That's kind of how I interpreted it, or, or at least an attacking playmaker. That's kind of what I ended up okay. with, I guess.
1: Okay, so um, I'm going to go with those players, but I'm also going to say, like, side note, I also think players centrally will will really be big in these tournaments because they're going to set the tempo. So I think Darlington Magby is going to have a really yeah. good tournament. I think Atuesta is going to have a really good tournament because they're the pacemakers. They decide how fast their team's going to play going forward. They set the tone. Those players could also be players who help carry their team, but just in a different way. Sure, sure. Okay, so if you go with goal scorers i kind of think the new people the the new guys are going to be the ones that can do this because teams don't know how to defend them yet
0: yeah that's really fair actually and in, in terms of mls they might have film from other leagues and other times but they aren't going to know how to defend these new guys who are coming into the league
1: exactly so um i had a couple of people you you mentioned polito for skc i think nominally for the colorado rapids um Those are the two players that kind of stick out. And I think, okay, these two can have a really big impact because I just don't know how to defend them quite yet.
0: I think those are both really good options for this question, for Zach's question. I'll add two guys of my own to that list who have been in MLS for a little bit longer albert elise number one uh, i talked about earlier we haven't seen him play yeah. in mls so far this year but he's a game changer he was in our transfers episode he is a guy who can get on a hot streak can beat players and just become this unstoppable force in major league soccer especially in a tournament like this he is a goal scorer an attacking playmaker and the other one is christian pavon also mentioned on this episode yeah. so far i think he's the best player on the galaxy and honestly at this point i think if carlos vela takes even a half step back pavon is going to take his spot as the most dangerous attacking player in mls Christian Pavon is so good and so dangerous and I'm thrilled to get to see him a little bit more in this upcoming tournament
1: I just don't know about LA Galaxy like I just don't know
0: yeah if they can can get it together they're gonna
1: go far he is carrying them
0: agreed I think that's I think there's no way that that doesn't happen right there's no way that the Galaxy move on without Christian Pavon being that dominant force carrying the team kind of like Zach is saying in his question yeah okay Jordan we went through. This really was an extravaganza. There's no if ands, or buts about it. We talked format. We talked structure. We talked mathematical idiosyncrasies, players, groups, listener questions. We hit it all. And we're coming back next week with more.
1: Oh, yeah, we are. A lot more. <laughs> A lot more. And some news, too.
0: Yeah, so we've got, we've got big moves coming up on the show. Next week, we'll have very specific predictions, as we mentioned. And then we'll talk more about how we're actually going to be covering this tournament with MLS's back coming back officially. But yeah, Jordan, I think that's all we got today. Thanks for talking with me. And listeners, thanks so much for listening.
1: Yeah, thanks, Joe.